welcome back to We've Been Had. Uh, welcome back to that crack between what's white and what's black. Um, Dynamite drop-in. Dynamite. Man, I like to lay the groundwork. This is, of course, our song-by-song uh, song walk through the songs of Uncle Tupelo. I am Keith Pilly. And I'm Chad Cook. And uh, tonight we are hitting the back stretch of No Depression, covering Flatness, so-called friend and screen door. This is a this is a good stretch, and I mean maybe this is more a thing to talk about next week. But I was surprised. I didn't know until pretty recently that uh, if you had like the original vinyl pressing, like this would be the end. Like apparently John Hardy was a uh, CD bonus track. Huh. I didn't when, know yeah, that. Yeah. Like I never. I had no idea. So for some people, we're closing out the album today. I believe my copy had John Hardy, but I could be wrong. On vinyl? No, the CD. Yeah, it's, I think we, we need to check our CD privilege. I, as a you know aging, aging hipster, I am a little disappointed. I do not own any Uncle Tupelo vinyl. I don't think I ever did, yeah, even, even I, when I had vinyl. I got zero. I had a bunch of Wilco vinyl. I, I am guilty of Wilco vinyl. I think they were kind of the sharp head on the sharp end of the wedge for vinyl revival. Uh, well, okay. Before we get into actual songs though, I wanted to, I made an observation while I was doing my homework. that I just wanted to run by you here. It just honestly kind of amazed me that, that I'd never noticed this. So there's one line in uh so-called friend that I guess we'll talk about when we talk about so-called friend where Farrar says something like, he knows what I lack, his place in her sack. And I'm, I didn't get a chance to fact check this, but I'm 95% sure that that is the only, that, that word her is the only mention of the existence of the entire gender of women on all of no depression. Yeah. So interestingly, the, uh, or unfortunately, the tabs on Factory Belt indicate the line is, he knows what I lack is a place under the sack. <laughs> Which I was trying to decide is like a, is that like some kind of like, like genital reference or? I, <laughs> I don't know. I, so here's the thing. Like, if I'm right, that's, you know, it's a little weird that there's one reference if you're right, or if that lyric is right, then then women just don't exist on this album at all. Right, and it's also some weird ball sack thing. It's it's your it's your Mamma Mia question. Does does ABBA <laughs> exist in in Mamma Mia, or is it just a construct? I I I'm just <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like I it's just it, it's it's really interesting to me. I guess that uh, you know wh- whether the count is one or zero. There's this this album, you know, it, I don't think they're like consciously misogynist or anything, but like, I guess it's just, it really hit me of like what a like young dude's world this album is depicting that like women just don't exist. Especially when you're, you're trying to rock a country vibe. Like yeah. what, 50% of country music songs are about women? Yeah. It's- that is odd. I guess I'd, I'd never put that together. I, I was, I, you know, and it changes because I mean, women show up on all their other albums, but man, ah, I don't know. Head scratcher. 
So as long as we're as long as we're derailing conversations here, <laughs> I, I just wanted to set the tone. Uh, I I brought brought this article from the Hot Riverfront Times, uh, June fifth, nineteen ninety one, and it's a it's a story by this guy Chris King, and uh, I'm just gonna read it and and I, I'm kind of it's interesting because it paints early Uncle Tupelo fans as sort of a a group of people. Okay. Um, so let me read it and then we can, we can talk about uh, if there's, if there's anything that correlates for okay. us. So, so it says, if you're anything like me, you've plunked down a bunch of Cicero cover charges and stood packed in a flesh ball with your peers to see uncle Tupelo. If I'm right, all those uncle Tupelo basement shows form a period in our lives. You can think back easily to those days who you were seeing, what you were doing, who you were hiding from, and Jeff Tweedy bouncing off of a wall, Jay Farrar lifting his head and peeking through a bang, <laughs> Mike Heidorn's cigarette bouncing to the beat. It's all part of it. I think that captures an era pretty well. Yeah, so I was thinking, you know, like, first of all, I'm jealous that I wasn't I wasn't there for that scene because yeah. that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but the only thing I can think about is, like, the early Golden Smog, maybe, where like they were playing a lot around the twin cities. So you got to kind of see them and, yeah. and be around them. You'd get like these occasional, like, Hey man, they're, you know, later this night, later this evening, they're going to be playing at garage door. And you know, like you'd get these like short notice, tiny shows. Yeah. So it just is a, it's interesting. It's also interesting to me to like kind of frame a period of your life by a, by a band uh, or yeah. by a, piece of music yeah and god knows i don't know about you but god knows i do that and for sure you know i mean big chunks of it are jeff tweedy involved i I also i do like um jay farrar peeking up through bangs is is basically the only stage move i've ever seen him do so at least he's consistent he's been working on his craft for a while (laughs) he can really deliver a lot with one eyebrow uh, so just just to continue, there's just one more thing that I want to read you, and just your your first reaction. Okay. It's it's later on in the show. It says, "Chicken Trucks guitarist Brian Henneman joined them in a in a tux top, red cut off sweatpants, green high tops to rip out a closing Cortez the Killer." Cover. Holy shit! Like that's some imagery. That yeah. <laughs> I I love everything about that and wish I could have seen that. Would you go to a chicken truck show? Hell yeah. yeah I would too. So, I mean, and also like we're kind of establishing here that I think, at least speaking for me, and I, I'm going to venture to speak for you here, that one of the great white whales of this show is some kind of Uncle Tupelo performance of Cortez the Killer. because. It's it's out there. It's it's now in my consciousness. Yeah, I I don't even know if I want to hear it. I kind of have to hear it. <laughs> yeah, straight out of Moby Dick. You yeah, have no choice. No, I'm uh, I'm not sure if I'm Ahab or the whale in this situation, but <laughs> either way, I'm I'm hearing Cortez the Killer. <laughs> Very bad, man. Uh well, let's uh let's slide into the flatness, eh? Let's do it. <laughs>
Okay, well, let's uh, let's talk about flatness. Got anything to, to kick her off? Yeah, I guess when I was listening to this song, and I honestly have not listened to this song for a very long time, uh, when I first first listened to it and looked at the lyrics, I'm like, here we go again. Beer makes you weary, but you need something to get along, right? Another ah. bummer. But as you get farther down, I, f- I feel like you're, you're kind of seeing like a young Jeff Tweedy kind of figure out how he wants to structure songs. Yeah, I think that's... Like, I don't even know what this means, but the last one of the last lines is someone you once met stands blocking the bright orange sunset. Yeah. Like, that sounds like that sounds like a, a, you know, later Wilco, Jeff Tweedy sort of line. Yeah, that's like a legitimate poetic image instead of just like the the plain statement of fact that he liked to. Well, it's funny you mentioned that too. I thought like one of the things that jumped out at me, this is one of the only songs I can think of that's uh, in second person. And that's, you know, you don't get that a lot. And that's, I mean, when people write that way, it can be really annoying. But uh, I don't know. It shows some literary ambition, I guess. Yeah, it's a different perspective. You know, I, I guess coming growing up in Iowa and coming from the Midwest, like I understand the the concept of flatness when you're driving places, there's a lot of empty space. You become intimately aware of flatness. I I wasn't drinking at the time, uh, you know, because I was 14, but, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I guess a beer would probably help you get through (laughs) the flatness. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, there's a, I don't remember what it's called, but David Foster Wallace has got like one of his essays about tennis is all about growing up in rural Illinois and how it's so flat and like you're just kind of lost to like plain geometry. Um, And that's, you know, of course, he goes off like, well, that's really good for tennis. But I I don't know, like that's that would have been not too far away from Belleville, really. Yeah. I mean, it, I think anyone who grows up, even if it's not the Midwest, I mean, I think if you grow up in parts of Texas or or Arizona, yeah. uh, you know, you can probably you probably contemplate flatness as a as a thing. Yeah, I um, I guess I've got this entire metaphorical construction that I think is going on in the song. I I don't know for sure. You know, so this is another one that starts off with big riff and you know, big instrumental to do. I think the main riff of this song sounds like bed spins. I, I'm probably like revealing the conditions under which I was listening to this song when, uh, you know, when I was a young Uncle Tupelo fan. But, you know, to me, it just the guitar riff sounds like what it used to sound like to go to bed after drinking too much. So um, just is that because you would start drinking at the beginning of this album <laughs> and by the time you got to the end that that's what you associate this song well, with? I, I had a drinking game. Every time they mentioned alcohol in any song, <laughs> I would have to do a shot. Um, no, but, you know, so, like, between the kind of bed spinny sound and the, the lines about beer makes you weary, yeah, that's half of it. Um, I think you're right with flatness. You know, yeah, he's talking about physically what he sees, but also it just it makes me think of the experience of depression. Um you know, there's a big part of that is just this emotional flatness. Like there's 
some days you just feel awful. Other days you just don't feel anything. You just feel flat, um, you know, and you've got this kind of constricted worldview. And to me, I think that's what, that's what I read into this song at least is that this is him kind of put, well, since it's in second person, he's putting the listener inside this depressed state that the rest of the album is describing you know, and the whole bed spinny beer discussion thing is talking about self-medicating through depression. I don't know. Maybe I'm hanging way too much on an early Jeff Tweedy song, but I, I think it all holds together. Yeah, I mean, that, that lends some credence to the, the your only goal is to sleep until the news is over. Yeah. Um, which my first read on was, you know, kind of, I feel like this sometimes when you, you look at the news and there's a bunch of shitty stuff going on and, you know, you've just there's a desire to just tune out until things improve. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like sleeping until 2020 sometimes. <laughs> uh, you know, another thing that's interesting, like I, at least I think the song is about depression or, or something close to it, but then he's got a couple of lines that show like this weird little bit of optimism about like things don't get better, but some people do like, I, I like the way that line's constructed and it's also kind of hopeful. Um, then, you know, it ends with there's darkness in the world, but the brighter side we also may view, which is top flight, world class Uncle Tupelo syntax mangling. But it's also a nice sentiment. It, it's almost as if they, they learned to write in like Korean. Yeah. This is this is a, a far aside, but uh, there was a there was a party that Keith and I were both at at a at a local karaoke lounge <laughs> called the Do-Re-Mi Karaoke Lounge. And all the equipment was in Korean. So for a brief moment, <laughs> we both had a working knowledge of at least how to operate a karaoke machine yeah. in Korean. I, I knew what exactly. play, stop, pause. Yeah. Um, another lyrical thing I like with this, uh, I think, it. I, again, maybe I'm just, reading more into this but uh i like the line about your hand holds the bottle that's become your last lonely friend which is a nice lead-in to the next song you know it is it's a very rare like trans song setup payoff especially early in the song yeah that's, that's next level transition so i i guess what what i'm kind of coming off of here is that i think the Tweety contributions that I like the best on No Depression are, are are songs that seem to be like really front and center describing his view of the world. And I guess that's a good thing to be good at. Yeah, and I, I think he got better at it too. Yeah. Uh, just sort of articulating his, his worldview and the things that were going on in his life. Yeah. Um, you know, I would be curious if you sat down with him to like, to is the song shaped by his experience or is there actually someone that he once met that's blocking the bright orange sunset yeah and is it jay farrar <laughs> these are my questions that's uh, well i saw i saw on twitter today that jeff tweedy will be appearing on wait wait don't tell me on public radio this weekend so you could call in and ask him He'd be like, yeah uh mr tweedy I, I i know you're uh i, I know you're here to do a wacky news game show, but uh, you want to talk about a song you wrote 30 years ago? 
long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> I think you need to do that. I, you know, the sad thing is, is I don't even know if who the host of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is, but I, I would just pick one of the NPR people and just just unleash a tirade about how how unsufferable I find them. <laughs> Which is probably not what anyone is looking for, Jeff Tweedy included. I think... There's no way I'm getting through a call screener. That's what I'm saying. Fair enough. But just getting yourself banned in the attempt is worth something. That would be something. Anything more on flatness? I mean, I, I like the song a bunch, but I feel like... Yeah, no, it was a good like song. A, it's uh, piece. it's not one that you you just end up listening to a whole lot, but uh, a really good song. Yeah. All right, well, let's take a break and come back. into so-called friend i need to kick this off um i just have to acknowledge the work of mr ben leonard for in 1994 1995 being the one who pointed out to me what this song is about because i was wasn't really big on the old metaphor thing back then and was not seeing it he's like dude it's about booze oh yeah it is former former curator of the Mill City Museum, Ben Leonard? Uh, I don't think he was curator, but whatever he did there, yeah. I don't know what okay. he did. Um, he was also the uh, station director of KUMM, the only station that puts come in your ear, 89.3, U90 alternative. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so so-called friend. Uh, it's about booze and trying to give it up. It's, uh, you know, and I think that makes it unusual in Uncle Tupelo, um, only in that it's about trying to give booze up instead of just wholeheartedly embracing it. And it's unusual in kind of hiding behind a metaphor. You know, I mean, it's not like the deepest metaphor, but I, I didn't get it right away. Yeah, and I mean, it. it's, uh, maybe they were just like, yeah, we're going to throw these teetotalers a bone. We'll give them a, we'll give them a little second to last track on the album. It's a pretty clever song. Yeah, it is. It is a clever song. I was, I guess, I was struck by the the guitar riff. Yeah, sounds like it. It belongs almost on trace. Yeah, like it's got that. I don't know. That was. It has that trace era style. Um, I guess a, I I remember the first Sunbolt show I went to, and they played uh, Route. Yeah, and I just remember thinking, like, it seems like these guys were born to play this, like. You know, like the, like Mike Hydor and the Boquist brothers, Jay Farrar were just born to play this straightforward rock and roll style. Yeah. And that's kind of what I get with the, you know, it just kind of hits you like a wave almost. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting to to think about it in terms of about a song trying to give up booze and be really rocking. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. I'll go ahead. No, I just, I, I, I really like some of the lyrics. Yeah, I, I think this... Yeah, I, I think as we've gone through, I've called out other songs for being like, this is the lyrical high point, but he really did a hell of a job writing lyrics for this. Yeah, it's uh, so I guess, you know, as we've as we've been debating the the line that maybe it may or may not be uh, referred to referring to women in this song, 
maybe is a place under the sack refers to like uh, the brown bag that you put a liquor bottle in. That could be. Okay, so let's, you know, just to, to show our work here, according to the Gumbo Pages transcription, the, <laughs> the words for verse two are question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> My long-term goals are to leave this friend behind. He knows what I lack is a place under the sack, two more question marks, for every other tie that binds. I guess I've never been able to tell what that first bunch of question marks are either, but I always thought it was something, something long-term goals or to leave this friend behind. He knows what I lack is a place in her sack for every other tie that binds. I just think that makes more sense under the sack. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that anyone would ever say under the sack. Like I I don't, I don't think that's ever been said. Yeah. And usually when they're mangling words, they just change the order around. They don't go off into like whole new idioms. Yeah. It's uh. I do like that though. And the actually the factory belt, the question mark, question mark, question mark, they have oh great soul, the long term goals are to leave this friend behind. That yeah, that sounds right to me. Which is interesting if you think of it as yeah, it's probably it's probably as you say a, a metaphor about alcoholism, but what if it was just like what if it was just like a, a story about that one friend that you know is bringing you down? Like, yeah. like, oh, great, Danny's here. I think it works that way. I, I mean, that was the way I read it for quite a while. Um, now I'm I'm digging into the lyrics to see. I think verse four is the one that that seals it the forget what i said your friend's not dead he's only gone for a while come back to that crack between what's white and what's black and give you one last smile to me that sounds like somebody who has tried to give up booze being like ah you know okay you know what that reminds me of um you know the google bordello song alcohol yeah it's like the same dynamic of like ah, i'm quitting ah, i'm not quitting ah, i'm quitting ah, i'm not quitting Based on the Google Bordello show that I saw at First Avenue, uh, I don't think any of those guys are planning on quitting <laughs> booze. The lead singer drank a downed a bottle of wine at one point, which I, I, I that you know. So I've been to a lot of shows at First Avenue, and uh, that was the only time I've just been like, "What is going on here?" <laughs> because of how much they were drinking, or just because of the show in general? That they had acrobats that were were like were like hanging from the light rafters you know there's 42 people on stage i mean it was amazing it was it was really fun it was just it was just like just really wild ah, sounds like know. it part of the problem is as you know in my 20s i went through kind of a keeping it real with music phase and so I went and saw a lot of like straight ahead rock shows at first half. Yeah. So. yeah same. And I, that same phase, honestly, like Gogo Bordello is one of the bands that I wish I would have checked out sooner instead of being like, Oh no. They, and they, they seem um, impure somehow. They, they do seem like they're having a lot of fun out there. Yeah. Fun. Fun has no place in music. That's right. Fun has no place in music. That's, a, that's actually a quote from the, uh, which an excellent, excellent uh, bit by John Worcester, the drummer from Super Chunk, called "Rot Rock Rule." You, if you have not heard this, you have to uh, 
you, you just you have to check it out it's on spotify it's on youtube it uh yeah it's it's, it's amazing it's it, it's uh apex predator level trolling <laughs> it is the the supreme masterpiece of fucking with people <sighs> but uh okay well getting back to so-called friend um you now we're talking about lyrical construction one thing that i really really like about this song i it really seems like of everything here this is the one that he must have sat down and like really just polished the words is there's there's so many great internal rhymes set up and that doesn't just happen you know that's that that took some crafting um and it just it sounds so good it works so well Sounds like a Hank Williams song almost with all the, the internal rhymes. Yeah, I wonder. So, I mean, this is jumping ahead a little bit um, because I read a, an article about when they were writing No Depression and they, they kind of, they were talking about the, the next song we're going to talk about, Screen Door, and yeah. how it's it's sort of optimistic and, and kind of complacent. Uh, and then the rest of the songs in the album are downer or kind of downers. Yeah. And uh, Jay Farrar said that one of the reasons for that is that uh, Screen Door was one of the first songs that they wrote. Okay. And Factory Belt was one of the last songs they wrote. So there was kind of an evolution as they went through their touring. And so it got bleaker and bleaker and bleaker. That's really interesting. So I wonder where this this one was written chronologically in that process. If it was a... If it was a happy time or uh, <laughs> I, I'm guessing I'm leaning towards the latter. I think anytime that they're, you know, openly singing about struggling with trying to quit drinking that uh, they wouldn't have gotten to that struggle without, that's not a struggle that happens like during the good points, I guess is, is what I'm thinking. Another thing I was thinking about when you were talking about how the, the musical part to this sounds more like a Sunvolt song that actually made me wonder what came first here? You know, like most of these songs, it really feels like there's this big riff that they're jamming around and then words got bolted onto afterwards. And maybe that's the case with this one. I I don't know. I just, I wonder what the chicken and what the egg is. It seems like the words in this one are so good that it, it almost feels like maybe this one, they started with the words and they're like, okay, we need, we need a rock and guitar riff to yeah. hold this all together. Yeah. And they got it. It's pretty wild to think like I, when I was younger, I drank a lot, but I never was in a place where like, I would often be thinking like, well, this last night on the town might be my last above ground. I mean, you're rolling pretty hardcore. If every time you go out, you're like, well, this might be it. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a strange way to approach (laughs) I'm not just going to go out and have a couple drinks. I'm going to, you know, these stakes are high. That's right. We'll let it loose. That, uh, where is it? There's another friend has a name, knows gutter and shame. So second time on the album that they're talking about falling down in gutters. I I mean, just, I mean, it was, it was a ditch last time. True. Fair enough. I mean, you know, this, this is presumably made of concrete and, you know, there's probably a family of raccoons living in much, it. It's much like, nicer. Place yeah, it's to way, pass way nicer. It's running water. <laughs> it's totally different. But yes, the, it is the second song that kind of implies that at some point your night or your morning is going to start with 
know, waking up outside after sleeping. Yeah, and and they act like that's just table stakes. Like <laughs> death is an option right. here. If you're lucky, you'll end up in a gutter. Yeah. <laughs> that's best case scenario. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. So, I mean, maybe I just maybe I just didn't have the stomach for that hardcore of partying. But like, I, I think the worst thing that would have happened to me was I'd have been upset that I had like somebody had talked me into buying like twenty dollars <laughs> worth of pull tabs or yeah, something. Exactly. Or exactly. or I'm at a show and I bought the CD of the opening band, which never paid <laughs> off for me. Yeah. Like, seriously, I don't know how, I don't know what the problem is. I don't know if there's like some, they're spiking the beer at First Avenue, but every CD I bought from an opening band there has been abjectly terrible. I That's one of the gifts of aging going to shows. Like, I just slowly letting go of this expectation that you're going to discover anything from the opening band. It just never, I honestly can't think of a time it's paid off. Yeah. Unless you're getting some bonus thing, like, you know, the Jayhawks are opening for, for Sunbolt or something like that. Yeah. I've been to a lot of shows where like the opening band's a known quantity and you're like, Oh yeah, this is going to kick ass. But like, I can't think of when it's ever been a pleasant surprise. Yeah, I mean, when we we saw Saint Vincent and uh, like her uncle, yeah. uh, her uncle's who's a awesome guitar player, opened. Like that was really cool. I'm not I'm not rushing out to buy any of his recordings. Yeah, but. It, that was like a best case scenario, and the best case scenario I was like, well, yeah, this isn't so bad. It's entertaining. Yeah, I wasn't like you know, oh God, when is this gonna end? Please stop. Yeah, and I mean, I, I just, it's kind of depressing to think about how many hours I spent in my 20s standing at First Avenue just with my arms crossed being like, Jesus Christ, just <laughs> wrap it up. Let the man act on. Yeah, it, uh, I, I don't know. It, so there's, there's and maybe this is just a thing that happens to me, but I, I talk to people and they're, they kind of have these romantic stories about the time they saw it. They went to see X band and the opening band was, was, you know, I don't know, the strokes or something. And yeah. they're like, Oh, it was amazing. It was the first time I've ever heard that. And it's just, that has never happened to me. Nope. You know? And like, so I get the, I get the things like, you know, I go to an eels show and like, you know, Steve Perry comes out and sings three songs. So like, I've used all my good luck, right? Like all the, ma- all the magical powers in the universe that exist have, I've cashed those chips in and it netted me Steve Perry singing, eel, singing back up on eels tracks. So you get to sit there and look up at the night sky and be like, really? I, I guess. I- yeah. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of like if, if they gave you like practice spins on a slot machine and you hit like a Royal flush and you're like statistically, this is never happening again. Like I've, I've just effed myself at some deeply mathematical level. So, since this is, this is a podcast, you can't see, I've derailed this conversation so far afield that Keith literally has nothing. I'm reduced to giggles. I got nothing else. Um, well, should we embrace that? Have you got anything more no, on so-called no, sin? All right, let's take a break. We'll be back.
And we're back. Uh, Chad, this song is just funny. There's a screen door on a submarine. So you say that not understanding that 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 saying opens a very deep and personal wound for me because, and I am not making this up to be funny. I first heard that when I was a little kid and I just assumed that these, that like these kids were playing like that. They had a sub, they were on a submarine and it had a screen door. <laughs> okay. Like it never occurred to me that it was, it was because like you couldn't have a submarine with a screen door because you're underwater. Yeah. Those were the power. Those were my reasoning powers when I was, eight or nine i like i was it just went so far over like it's a pretty simple thing and it went <laughs> so far over my head that fair enough i i mean i think at one point one of my parents said that and i was like well how'd you know about that story if it makes you feel any better i was well into my 30s um by the time i figured out that my father was fucking with me when we were out camping and he had like a boom box and said that if you knew where to, you know, if you knew just the right spot in the ground, you could plug it into the ground and find ground electricity, <laughs> you know, and, and, and did it. And I was like, oh my God. And I, I was like, I, I was deep into my thirties and I was like, oh wait, fucking batteries. You know, I, I think if you, if you did like a back to the future scenario where you timed a, you know, like a bolt of lightning <laughs> and somehow got that to reduce down to the correct current. <laughs> that has always bothered me that like their flyer has, so their flyer has the minute that the lightning bolt strikes, but even that, but you know, like I don't know how many lightning bolts you've seen strike, but they don't, they don't strike for an entire minute. Exactly. Yeah. That, I feel like there's some holes in the plot the, of that movie. The science of that movie doesn't entirely add up. It's uh it is pretty I mean the decision I don't know whose decision it was to use a DeLorean in that but that decision totally holds up. That's I, someone with good design skills. Whoever that was, that was that was a good decision. May have been my first introduction to Chuck Berry. Yeah. Uh, Cuz he plays Johnny B good I think and you're there's right. that there's that bit where he's like like the bass player is like Chuck Berry's cousin or something. Yeah, and and so that's actually like I've seen that called out as like kind of low key racist. That uh, you know the argument is like white America can't even let Black America have um, musical innovation. You know, it actually has to be a time traveling white guy <laughs> who teaches Chuck Berry. Uh, you know, and I think that's a fair criticism. It's a fair criticism. Although, I mean, if they hadn't have specifically called that out, very few people would know that was a Chuck Berry song. So it's kind of, yeah. it's hard to, I mean, I guess I wouldn't have known that. He says, Chuck, it's your cousin Marvin, Marvin Berry. Oh, that's right there. Anyway, screen door. Screen door. Screen door. So if this is the this is the vinyl end to the album, it it uh, it either ends on a high note or a com- note of complacency. Yeah. It's yeah. uh it does sound you know, so that uh I think I think we've talked about this before, but a lot of country music is is kind of about my lifestyle is okay. Yeah. Yep. And I feel like that's kind of what you're getting here is you know like look we may all be equally poor but we're happy that's i 
That's a really good point. I wouldn't have come up with that, but you're you're totally right. Like this is the most new country song they ever did. That's a good distinction. New country. Yeah, because like yeah. there's I, I don't know when the transition happened, but like there, you know, previously old country was like life is suffering. Right. I'm gonna <laughs> then, shoot you in the face. Somewhere in the nineties it turns around to like, yeah, whatever you're doing is fine. That's right. You know, you if you want to get drunk and drive your tractor. <laughs> That tractor ain't gonna drive itself. Yeah, it's a. But oh, that's that's a good point though. That's, it it does feel like that kind of, and I guess, uh, I mean, I I'm not immune to this. Like I see, you know, there are days when when you know something's not going well, or you know, you're you're jealous about something, and and then you get together with your friends, and it like all that jealousy kind of melts away, yeah. and you just you know, start talking about music or sports calligraphy <laughs> especially calligraphy no yeah i think like that's yeah i mean until you broke my brain by pointing out the new country similarity like i i had just been thinking that this was you know this very positive song about like yeah things can be shitty but you know if you've got friends and you've got a community things can be all right um and you know i think that's it can be both. Yeah, I, I think it is both. That's a, it, I don't know. That's I. I guess you you broke my brain about this song a couple of times because also the revelation that this was one of the first written. Just honestly, like I, I've been paying attention to music production long enough that like I should not. I I know that it's a stupid mistake to like look at an album sequence and think like, well, the first song must have been recorded first. The last song must have been recorded last, but it's really hard to stop your brain from making this like production narrative just out of that. And so like, it's easy to feel like, well, you know, they're, they were wrapping up the album. They needed another song. So they just threw this one together. Yeah. But I think, I think American society kind of conditions you to do that. Like, you know, like, do you think when they filmed Rambo, they thought they had enough material for four mo- more movies? <laughs> like, you know, it, it just is, it, you know, a lot of, a lot of things seem like, like, you know, like they just tack stuff on at the end yeah. just to, yeah. to either make it either finish it or, or, you know, as a money grab. Well, I guess the ironic thing is that, you know, we've, we've blown it wide open that John Hardy actually was tacked on. <laughs> that's, that's next show's issue. What was I going to say about this? I also like, like in tandem with the positivity of this, I like the low stakes, you know, like uh, the last, just the last song they were talking about drinking so much, you might die. This song, they're like, yeah, sometimes it snows when it does, it doesn't last long. Everybody's poor, but we're all poor. It's fine. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, you know, maybe it's, uh, it's hard. It's hard to, uh, go at it alone is the message. You know, yeah. like if you're, if you're part of a community or a group of friends, it makes, makes things easier. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I like the idea of all these people coming and hanging out on a porch. Yeah. And then the, the last line is we don't care what happens outside the screen door. Yeah. So it's kind of you know, like, you, know, you can have your, you know, your, your mansion or your, um, I almost said monster truck because for some reason I was thinking about the movie Roadhouse. <laughs> but, that 
in, in a better version of that. That movie's almost perfect, but what would have elevated it would have been if instead of uh, Jeff Healy, they just had Uncle Tupelo as the husband. I, I think that would work. Holy shit. Like, yeah. that's just imagining the possibilities. This is the mental struggle that I go to trying to harness all of these different, like, different thoughts where I'm thinking about something and all of a sudden I start thinking about the movie Roadhouse. <laughs> embrace it. Yeah. Fine. Embrace the dark side. But, uh, but, but I don't know, you know, like you think about, you, you think about, you know, kind of the distribution of wealth or something where if you, if you sit down and think about it, like people between the whatever 60 percentile and 90 percentile have a lot of the same issues. Yeah. Uh, you know, as you go higher up or farther down, like there are different issues in terms of like you know, worrying about where your next meal is going to come from or, you know, worrying about what color the interior of your Ferrari is going to be. <laughs> but it, uh, it's it, it's interesting to me to think about it in those terms because you know, like you, most people have similar sets of problems. So most yeah. people don't care what happens outside the screen door. That's, uh, that's a good point. Uh, my one tiny sliver of pushback to that would be just a lived experience thing. Um, my wife and I bought this house partly because we really liked the front porch and we like to sit on the front porch, you know, so up to there, it's right up with the experience of this song. I do have to say we care intensely what happens out the screen door just because we like to spy on our neighbors. Okay. So yeah. like I can tell you, you know, the dude to the North lets <laughs> his cat out way too much. The, uh, the people across the way have a miniature pincher named Dave that barks too much. Um, it's outside the screen door. Maybe it's a call to action for you not to care as much about what happens outside the screen door. That's probably correct. But you know, I mean, metaphorically i think the screen door is all of kingfield yeah. so like you know like you don't care what happens to those you know damn elitists in tangle town like they're just eating cake down right. there they can they can stuff that cake right up their bottom um oh so one thing that i wanted to point out with this this is the third song on the album with no drums i think there i think Hydorn is maybe doing like a shaker. So he's doing some kind of auxiliary percussion, but until we did this show, I had never, ever noticed how often on this album, they're just like, yeah, Mike, go smoke a cigarette. Yes. Yeah, the same. Um, you know, if I had not gone through this exercise, I think I would have said that all of the songs in this album sound pretty much the same. Yeah. Um, which is weird, but th that was sort of my memory going into this. Well, there's, I mean, the dominant sound is so distinctive that I think it just kind of casts a big shadow that the rest of the album gets lost in. But I think part of the, I think, I think that's what keeps this from being a shitty album, honestly, is that like there's a dominant sound, but then when you sit down and listen to it, you get breaks from it. So you can appreciate it without just feeling like you're getting your ass kicked by like, a, you know, the way you would like, like I'll sit down and listen to this for pleasure in a way that I would never sit down and listen to a Black Flag album. I'll listen to a Black Flag album, but not like, oh, I'm chilling. It's like, I, I got to want to be angry. When, when was the last time you honestly, you sat down and listened to a Black Flag I, I guess album? I, I've gone running and listened <laughs> to a Black Flag album. 
because I wanted extra energy to. But, but Re- yeah. Rebecca's gonna put on a, a pot of tea, and we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna rise above. Yeah. It'd be good. We'll make a night of it. Well, but but so I mean, I guess that's kind of my point, though, is that like it, the idea of sitting down and just like chilling to Black Flag is ludicrous because everything kind of sounds the same. Um, you know, like I love the Ramones, but I never sit down and chill to a Ramones album because it all sounds the same. Uh, this like, there's enough that sounds the same that, you know, there's like a distinct no depression album sound, but there's also enough variation that like, it's not punishment to just sit and listen to one sound. Yeah. It, um, it is interesting though, because I feel like there are some later J for solo albums where like you do kind of feel like you're getting a, a lecture with an acoustic guitar. Yes. So, you know, this is, I don't, I don't know. That's maybe that's the thing that Jeff Tweedy brought to early uncle Tupelo is just like a little bit of whimsy Yeah. that maybe got lost in the transition. I, with some exceptions, I think they were definitely a, uh, some, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts type situation and yeah just the variety that you get with the two voices and the two approaches helps and i i don't know like i mean that being said i I feel like trace era sunvolt is one of the best bands that has existed i that i agree i mean that that that, album is as close to perfect yeah it's, it's amazing if you if you're comparing first salvos post uncle tupelo like i feel like trace demolishes am and like just laughably yeah yeah i mean it's amazing it's just some of the later stuff maybe just gets a little preachy you know some some returns diminish this does a ghost haunting this podcast that we're gonna have to address at some point is uh a are we officially gonna pick a side in the uh you know, in, in the post split, like who's better? Um, B, are we going to talk about those albums at all? Are we not going to talk about those albums at all? Yeah. Um, um, you know, like I, I guess I still just given the exercise of going through this one, um, the preconceptions that I had have been sort of blown out of the water. So uh, I'm interested in taking a fresh look and, you know, I, I honestly don't think I'm going to be able to come down on a side. Yeah. Uh, just because I think that's reductive. Yeah. And it, it's, uh, I don't know. It just is not, uh, they produced this great music when they were together and then they broke up and they started making great music independently. Yeah. You know, eventually both those streams maybe stopped paying off, but not for a while. I had this thought today. So, you know, I was doing prep for the show and I just, I was just thinking like, you cannot exist in the uncle Tupelo thought space, um, without, uh, blame for the breakup, you know, it's just like this thing that like everybody wants you to have an opinion for. And there was a time when, uh, I think it was when Greg Cott's book came out about the band or about Wilco, um, that really made it kind of seem like it was Tweedy's fault. And then I was looking today and saw some linked sources to interviews that really made it look like it was uh, Ferrara's fault. 
And I just kind of realized that like any source I come across now that seems to have a strong opinion one way or the other, I just kind of think is, I, I immediately think like, well, somebody's grinding an ax. Like, you know, if they're like nine 11 truthers, I feel like as far as the uncle Tupelo breakup goes, I'm like the opposite of a truther. I'm like a truth is unknowabler. Yeah. You know, I, like, I, I actually blame Mike Heidorn, which is, yeah, I know kind of a, dick. kind of a controversial position. <laughs> Uh, totally unsupported by by any facts or anecdotes, <laughs> but just just a gut feel. What a dick! <laughs> he must. I wonder what his. It'd be interesting to talk with him, uh, you know, as sort of the like, I don't, not really peacemaker, but like the the one in between yeah. these these two uh, these two stars with really high levels of gravity. Like, what, what do you think that was like for him? I wonder. So I always, I, there's like this mental file where I, you know, I've got him and like uh, Greg Norton from Husker Du kind of in the same situation where like, you're the third guy who, yeah, right. you know, like it all fell apart. And like, I, I love Greg Norton's post Husker Du journey of like, oh, I'm going to be a chef and move to Red Wing and then move to Wisconsin. And it would be awesome if Mike Heidorn had done the same, like, yeah, I'm just going to live my best life. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe he tried, like he yeah. left, he left before the breakup. Yeah. Uh, Cause did Ken Coomer play drums on the, yep. the first uncle earlier on. Anything? Um, yeah. Yeah. And then he, he got lured back in by Jay Farrar to play in Sunbolt. Well, so, I mean, it must not, he must not have broke that bridge totally. Yeah. You know, when Jay Farrar looks up at you through his through his bangs, you don't say no to that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. It's very persuasive. I would like it on record that uh, Keith equates equal value to Bob Mould and uh, Grant Hart and Husker Du. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm comfortable comfortable Good. doing that. Good. I. I am also a Husker Du weirdo in that Warehouse is my favorite of their albums. And that's, I think, the closest to an even split between the two. It is pretty close. It also has the most references to the Twin Cities. Yeah, that's a good point. So there is that. There's a spinoff show about Husker Du just kind of begging to happen. But that's that's albums out. Oh, jumping back to Uncle Tupelo. Oh, one other thing I wanted to bring up my one nitpick with this song Tweety's got the line about never saw much school. And, you know, Tweety's saying that I'm not sure the exact chronology, but I believe by the time they recorded this, he had done a little bit of undergrad and dropped out. So, you know, he's fair enough. He's talking about his experience, but if we think back to outdone and there was like the kind of ambiguous lines at the end that might've been a shot at college students, there is like a little bit of like towny anti-intellectualism in at least this first Uncle Tupelo album. Yes. I mean, that, I guess you could interpret screen door that way too, that, you know, like we yeah. don't need your fancy book learning. That's true. You know, we're going to sit on the porch and read readers digest versions of novels. <laughs> you know, and I, I guess that's kind of ironic too, that like, you know, if you think about the chronology, within 10 years, Jeff Tweedy is going to be releasing a an album that's named after uh, Peter Sellers' art movie, which is in turn named after like a weird experimental novel. 
Yeah, never saw much school in my ass, <laughs> Jeff. He'll be appearing on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me on public radio this weekend. Why don't you try that anti-intellectualism with those guys? Let me know how that works for you. Exactly. We see through you. It's, uh, it's I mean, that'd be a tough line to to walk, to be, you know, kind of towny proud and also being an art rock band. You know... That would be a very hard thing. And like, I had never thought about this until just now, but it's interesting to think about people, punks and hardcore people from American music in the eighties and nineties who have stuck around. It's actually, it's kind of fascinating to me to think about. They all present as kind of intellectual now, like all of them. Yeah. Even like Jello Biafria. Yeah. Who's, who does a lot of like spoken word tours and Henry Rollins just Henry kind of Rollins, like presents yeah. himself as this like roaming intellectual, you know, Bob mold. Like I love Bob mold, but when people talk to him, it, he, he could be like an English professor um, and God love him for that. But you know, I guess Mike Watt, my, if you can get my, beyond his diction, he's maybe keeping it real. Yeah, he's, uh, I mean, I've softened a little bit on Mike Watt. Cause I, I really do think he's a, really good bass player i just the the music that he's it's, this is kind of how i feel about rush is that like i acknowledge that for me they're fantastic musicians i just the music does not work for me there's nothing wrong with rush and i'm gonna leave it at that even their even their steadfast devotion to ann rand they repudiated that <laughs> That's, uh, uh, there's that joke about, you know, you, you build the dam. No one calls you the dam builder. You, uh, you climb the mountain. No one calls you the mountain climber, but you fuck one goat. <laughs> that's rush. <laughs> yeah. Oh. That's a pretty mangy goat though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we are, we're approaching the hour mark. We got anything more on screen door? I don't. I don't think so. I, th- okay. I think I've I've done my work in, <laughs> in taking the the conversation into strange and terrifying places. That's that's where we live, strange and terrifying places. Uh well. So thanks everybody for listening. We will be back in a couple weeks to uh, close out No Depression with John Hardy and the uh, the bonus tracks. Um, Again, this has been, we've been had. I guess I can't imagine you would have gotten to this point in the show without knowing that. I am Keith. Uh, you can find me at Keith Pilly on Twitter. And I'm Chad Cook. And you can find me at Cook6252 uh, on Twitter. I believe I said last time that I had 15 Twitter followers. And I'm selling myself a little short. There were 43 as of this morning. Holy so shit. It's a movement. That's, let's keep this momentum going. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, we would love to hear from anybody listening. Um, argue with us or tell us we rule. Tell us we rule. We could use some positive reinforcement. Be part of our screen door community. Um, that's what I got. Great. <laughs>